0: Well, good morning. Good morning. Today is a good, good, good day. I hope y'all are excited. I am incredibly fired up to be able to look into God's Word together. I just want to remind you that uh, Jesus is risen from the dead. Jesus is risen from the dead. He entered into death. And he didn't come back to life, okay? He actually passed through death and into eternal life. There is a major difference, okay? It's not the case that Jesus went into the dark tunnel of death and then went away and then came back. No, no, no. Jesus went into death and then came out the other side. That means Jesus is living forever. He, is, he has inherited eternal life. It's a life that's beyond death. It's a life beyond sin. It's a life beyond temptation. It's a life beyond struggle and hardship. He is living in eternity. That's what it means that Jesus rose from the dead. And the amazing wonder of the Easter message is that when we believe that, when we begin to orient our lives around the risen Lord Jesus, his resurrection begins to come true in our lives. Our hearts begin to feel this sense of resurrection. We begin to have this sense that, wait a minute, things are different. I'm trusting in Jesus, and as he's passed through death, I'm also experiencing a resurrection. My heart is beginning to change. This is what God is doing in the world. The fact that Jesus rose from the dead means that God's promises have been fulfilled. God made all these promises, and it took time, and it took energy, and it took effort. But in the resurrection of Jesus, God's promises have come true. They've come true. God promised to send a Savior, to rescue imperfect people, to restore the world and bring healing, and then to fix everything that is wrong so that he might rule with both compassion and justice. That's the message of Easter. And Jesus as Savior, he brings this new life, this resurrection to our hearts. Okay, we, I want you to think for a second about your heart. Okay, in the Bible, the Bible says that your heart, it's the sum total of who you are. It's kind of like a map of your life. Your heart is like a map of your life. Okay, it's the sum total of everything that you are. Each continent of the map represents a different part of your life. So you've got your relationships, your attitudes, your work, your words, the things you say, your thoughts, the things that you think. And this is who you are. This is a good representation of your heart. Now, if you're like me at all, then your heart maybe feels at times like you're at war. I know for me, that's how I feel a lot in the different areas of my life. I feel like in some of the continents, there's an all-out war that's being in, that's being waged against me in the area of my relationships, in the area of my attitudes. I think about the conflicts that I have in relationships, and that's evidence of the war. I think about the struggle that I have in terms of balancing both work and personal life priorities, or right? that's part of the war. And the bummer is that the problem is that oftentimes we're at war with things that we cannot see. We're at war with giants, incredibly strong forces that are, at wa- that are waging war in our hearts, and we can't even see them. And these invisible giants, these invisible giants are the things that cause shipwreck in our relationships, in our families, in our friends, in our work life, even in our downtime. And so the question is, what do we do? What do we do about it? Well, Jesus has risen from the dead, and Jesus speaks to us. And if we let him speak, if we hear what he has to say, then he'll unmask these invisible enemies for us. He'll show us what they are, who they are, and then he'll give us the power to overcome them. Okay, we're starting a brand new series today, Conquering the Invisible Giants in Your Life. And what we're going to see is over the next six weeks, we're going to look at these invisible giants that attack us. And we're going to learn from Jesus how his resurrection conquers them in our lives. And so that's what we're going to look at. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 5, verse 21. Um, we're going to be looking at Matthew 5, verses 21 to 26. And friends, this is Jesus talking. You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says, You fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you are offering your gift at the altar penny this is God's word so the first thing that we're going to see today that Jesus has already brought up in this passage um, is that murder's invisible twin is sinful anger Okay, the first of the invisible giants in your life that Jesus is going to address is the invisible giant that's called sinful anger Sinful anger is the invisible twin of murder. Now, Jesus begins by telling us what we already know. In verse 21, he says, You've heard it said, You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. This is the sixth commandment, right? The sixth and the ten commandments. And virtually everybody agrees with this, that it's wrong to murder. Now, the Bible, you have to, just if you read the rest of the Bible, you'll understand that this is talking about murder. It's not just killing in general. If you read the rest of the Bible, you'll see that the Bible doesn't condemn killing in self-defense. It doesn't condemn just war. It doesn't con- uh, con- condemn capital punishment or accidental manslaughter. Okay? But Jesus goes on. After telling us what we've already heard, in verse 22, Jesus tells us that murder has this invisible twin. And it's sinful anger. Now, it's sinful anger. We've got to make sure we understand that. Because not all anger is sinful. And we'll talk in a little bit about how to identify what sinful anger is. Um, But here's what Jesus is doing. Here we've got an iceberg. And if you do any kind of research on icebergs, you'll know that some of these things are massive. They're like mountains of ice that are floating in the water. Right? Well, what science also tells us is that only 10% of an iceberg is actually floating above the water. And so that's what an iceberg looks like if you could see it both above and below the water. Right? 90% of an iceberg is below the surface. It's invisible. You can't see it. This is what Jesus is getting at here. The point that Jesus is making is this. Underneath the surface of the command, you shall not murder, lies a massive reality. Underneath the surface of you shall not murder is the heart and the character of God. Okay, God is the author and the giver of life, God promotes life. God protects life. And so the commandment not to murder, it's a reflection of of this aspect of God's character. Okay, God doesn't come up—you might not know this, um, you might feel differently, but God never, ever gives us commands that are arbitrary. God never, ever tells us to do something or tells us not to do something else— just because he was bored one day and he had a bunch of commands up on the wall and he took a dart and threw it at the wall and whatever the dart stuck in, he said, okay, I'll give him that one next. That's not how the commands of God work. God is a God of love and grace. God is a God who wants us to experience life to the fullest. And so every single one of the commands of God are reflections of who he is. All of God's commands are designed for us to be able to join God in the joy and bliss of what it's like to be him. And so, in the command, the reason that murder is wrong is because it acts contrary to the life-giving character of God. Murder robs the world of life that God created. Murder steals what doesn't belong to you. And so, Um, what jesus is saying here is that if you understand that that that's the kind of god that we serve that's the kind of god who said you shall not murder well then you'd understand that sinful anger is actually part of the heart that produces murder does that make sense so murder is what's up above but the thing that produces murder I mean, murder is sort of the end of a long line of actions, right? It's the end of a long line of decisions that get made before somebody commits murder. Um, Jesus is saying that the heart that produces murder produces all kinds of other things along the way. And sinful anger, sinful anger is part of the heart that produces murder. And I think if you... I mean, you don't think too hard to be able to make this connection, right? Let's think about some of the parallels. Um, when, When and if your anger ever seeks to physically hurt someone else, if you're a parent and you in your anger sin and abuse your child physically, Jesus is saying you're not killing them, but the heart that does that is the same heart that's in the heart of someone who commits murder. Think about it, not physically, but when your anger seeks to inflict emotional pain. When in your anger, you withdraw from someone else. And you withhold emotional support. When you check out and you're indifferent. When you give the cold shoulder to someone who slighted you. This is really practical. When you hide knives in your words... When you harden your heart in defiance to what you know to be the good and loving and right thing to do. Jesus is saying that you are acting out of a heart that if you continue down that road will produce murder. It's true. I think our experience shows us that anger, it it destroys us personally. I mean, it might feel good for a time. We may feel justified. But sinful anger is as deadly as murder. You have to understand that. And I think sometimes even more deadly because you can get away with it. You can get away with it. If I had a gun and shot Jim, you all would see it. I'd be convicted as a murderer but there are like five of y'all that I hate right now. <laughs> five of you. Actually, I hate five of you. Isn't that great? I hate being with you. I hate talking to you. I think that you're the most repulsive. Pro- I mean, see, I can do this, right? I can sound happy. I can sa- and you have no idea what's going on inside my heart. I-, I don't really hate five of you. I'm just kidding. And it's not a coincidence that I'm from a family of six. Okay, I wasn't Freudian wasn't a connection that you're supposed to make. But so I mean anger actually I think can be more deadly more insidious because it hides. It hides from us. Anger has declared war on us and it wants to control you. It wants to control you. So the second thing that we're going to see not just that murder's invisible twin is sinful anger, but Second, sinful anger will be judged now and later. Okay, sinful anger will be judged now and later. This is what Jesus says in verses 22 and 23. He says, I say to you, everyone who's angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. And will be liable to the council. And be liable to the hell of fire. Now, Jesus wants to conquer anger in our hearts. Okay, he wants to make it so that we are not enslaved to anger, so that we're not giving in to anger, so that we don't give in to that frustration. He wants to set us free, and so he brings it up. He brings it up. He doesn't bring this up to condemn you. He brings this up to correct you. Jesus wants to set you free. He wants to set you free. And so Jesus says that sinful anger leaves you liable both in this life and in the next. Judgment and the counsel and then the hell of fire. And so God corrects us, not just in murder, but in that sinful anger that dwells in our hearts. Thinking about the iceberg, that entire iceberg is going to be judged because it's against God. It destroys life. It destroys life, and so God is against it. God will judge it. And so Jesus is warning us so that it can come out of our hearts. Now, Jesus' words are incredibly practical to the disciples that he's talking to in his day. Okay, you've got to wrap your mind a little bit around this. Because Jesus came to bring a taste of heaven to earth. That's why he came. He came, he said, the kingdom of heaven has come. He said, God, your will be done on earth the way it's done in heaven. Jesus wanted to fill earth with a taste of heaven. And so he's training his disciples, the twelve, because he knew he was going to be sending them out to spread this taste. He wanted them to have this taste of heaven to share with other people. And Jesus knew that he was going to be sending his disciples. He was going to be sending his disciples into hostile areas. Okay, they're going to be going into villages, into towns, where there are going to be people who are hostile to them. They're going to be teaching what Jesus is teaching, And there are going to be people who are going to challenge them. They're going to be ridiculed. They're going to be mocked and ignored. And Jesus is preparing them. And what he's saying here in verse 22 is he's saying, look, don't be angry with the people if they don't receive your message. Don't fly off the handle. Don't go insulting the religious leaders or calling them names. That's not your job. That's not your calling. He says, if you do that, you'll be in double danger. You'll be in danger from the people because they will hand you over to the council. You'll end up underneath the authority of the religious leaders that you're insulting, and that's not going to go well for you. And more than that, you're also going to be in danger with God because he will oppose your anger and pride. Jesus is training the hearts Of his disciples. He's saying the truth should never, ever make you proud. It should never, ever make you proud or self righteous. Christians should never, ever act like they're better than anybody because we're the ones who are honest about how short we fall. Right? That doesn't make us better than anybody. And so Jesus' words are practical to them. They're also practical for us. Because when we give in to sinful anger, we also will experience judgment both now and later. We experience judgment now in the broken relationships that we experience because of our anger. Right? Think about it. Think about the relationships that you know that have been damaged by anger. Maybe it's your anger. Maybe it's someone else's anger. Families have been wrecked by sinful anger. Because when you give in to anger, in a sense, you're choosing isolation. You're choosing to exalt yourself. I mean, in some ways, you're kind of making yourself out to be a god because you have the right. You have the right because you are right. And your relationships show it. I came against this uh, this quote a couple weeks ago as I was getting ready for this. Have you ever been in an argument and you knew exactly what not to say? You knew exactly what would wound the person most. You knew exactly what would unnecessarily drag up the past. What would get right into that person's heart the quickest and most hurtful way. And you said it anyways? Me too. I think the graphic that's in your bulletin sums this up nicely. It's, uh, we also have a slide of it here. But uh, this graphic here, this was done by one of our own Harbor artists, um, Nate Clark. And... Um, Just take a look at this and let me let me read to you his artist's statement. Okay, this is what he said. He said, With the premise of murder, I started thinking about killing in a large scale, and that's war. And so we have fighter pilots here, and some fighter pilots paint the number of kills on the side of their planes. You know, they kill, they shoot down a plane, and they keep track of it. And he says, so murder and anger are two World War II fighter pilots. Littleness Murder is a bright pink plane, highly visible, but doesn't have a single kill. Anger, on the other hand, is camouflaged. It's invisible, and it has lots of kills. Then he said this. He said, notice how murder has the same cocky smirk as anger, despite not having any kills. They Both have the same smirk. Murder knows that as long as he can distract the allies in his flashy plane, his wingman anger can sneak in and make the kills. I love this. Like I don't even need to preach a sermon, I just hold this up and talk about it. And then he says this: here's the last thing he says: he says, We are the allies fighting against these twins. We chase murder away, and we proudly think we've done such a great job protecting our hearts protecting our relationships, protecting our workplace. Murder will never make a single kill here. We've never killed anyone. But meanwhile, anger has run rampant, and we find that our lives are full of anger's destruction. That's good. This is the message of Jesus. You've heard it said, don't murder, but friends... It needs to go deeper. If you want to experience real resurrection life, if you want to experience life the way I intended it, you've got to look deeper into your heart and address anger. So the question becomes like, how do you recognize this? Right? How do you recognize sinful anger when it attacks? I'm just going to give you two things under the second point. Just two things. that are just things that can help you identify it. First, when your desire becomes demand, that's sinful anger. Okay? When your desire becomes demand. When it's no longer, I really would like this, but no, no, I'm going to have this. You give this to me. You act in this way. You apologize when desire gives in to demand that sinful anger. And then the second way to think about it is that when you want revenge and not restoration in a relationship, that's sinful anger. And you can tell, can't you? when you yelled out of anger when you yelled because you wanted revenge when you reacted because you wanted to extract some punishment and make them suffer versus going with a heart that's looking for restoration when you're aiming for revenge and not restoration that's that's sinful anger So that's how you recognize it. How do you deal with it? What do you do? Well, the third thing that we're going to see here in this passage is that sinful anger is conquered by reconciliation. Okay, the way to deal with sinful anger is to pursue reconciliation. And this is what Jesus says in verses 24 or 23 to 25. So let's, uh, it's the next slide. Jesus says, So, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother and then come offer your gift. So Jesus says, this is how important it is to be reconciled. Reconciliation comes before worship. Because Jesus is talking about the context of the temple in the, old, in the Old Covenant, right? During that time, they would go to the temple with their sacrifices, to make a sacrifice. And Jesus says, if you are not just getting dressed for church, if you are not just on the way to church, um, not just standing as a service begins, but if you are actually about to hand your offering of worship to the priest— So, right in the middle of the service, and all of a sudden you remember that someone else has something against you, that presumably you've done something to hurt someone else and you haven't made it right. Jesus says, I want you to not worship with the sacrifice. I want you to not offer anything to God, but take it back. And go, leave, and find that person and make it right. That's how important it is to be reconciled. We could actually say it a little bit of a different way. Jesus is saying that when you're about to offer something, even in the midst of about to offer worship to God and you remember that you're not reconciled, then your act of worship is to go and to be reconciled. God welcomes hypocrites. God shows love to hypocrites. But he doesn't want them to stay hypocrites. Okay, and so, um, God, Jesus is saying, if you are, if you've got a relationship that you need to deal with, where you've got to be reconciled, there is unresolved conflict, you've got to deal with that now. Don't let anything, get in the way of you making it right, of you pursuing reconciliation. And he drives this point home. He drives this home in verse 25. Jesus says in verse 25, now's the time to do this. Look what he says here. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you're going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you've paid the last penny. So Jesus is giving us an analogy here, okay? It's kind of a parable. And what he's saying here is that all of us are on a path of life, okay? So exchange the map of your life to the path of your life, okay? We're all walking down the road of life. You get that. Jesus is saying that every single one of our paths is going to lead before the presence of God. That's where we're going to end up. And at that point, we're going to be in God's presence. Jesus is saying, look, now, while you're on the way, okay, you all, even though you're sitting down, you are on this time-bound trajectory to meet God. And so Jesus is saying, quickly now, quickly, get right with God now. Get right with your accuser now. Let go of your anger, because if you wait until you appear before him, it will be too late. And so Jesus says, the way to conquer the anger in your heart is through reconciliation, and there is no reason to delay. There's no reason to put it off. It's more important than worship. It's more important than the Lord's Supper. It's more important than work. Ephesians 4.26 says, Be angry, but don't sin. It says, don't let the sun go down on your anger. Because if you do, you will give the devil an opportunity. Every time you don't bring reconciliation... You actually allow the devil to have control over a small part of your life. You don't want to do that. You don't want to do that. Jesus says, deal with it. And it's interesting because to be reconciled, well, it's simple. Be reconciled. But it's not easy. In fact, being reconciled is costly. It's costly because to pursue reconciliation, you've got to climb down off your pedestal. To pursue reconciliation, you need to abandon your sense of superiority and you need to seek to make peace. To really pursue reconciliation... You've got to learn how to listen and understand before you try to be understood. Those things are hard. Those things are hard. Um, It takes practice. (laughs) Uh, It takes practice. And the good news for us is that if that seems impossible to you, Jesus has actually designed a practice field for us. Okay, There's a practice field so that we can get good at this. And the practice field is our relationship with him. Jesus says, if you don't know how to forgive someone else, if you don't know how to pursue reconciliation, if you don't know how to let go of the anger that's in your hearts, I will teach you myself. I'll teach you myself. Let's look at the uh, the next. This is Ephesians chapter 4, verses 31 and 32. It's interesting because it says almost the same thing about anger here as as in our passage, but Jesus shows us how it works. He shows us where we get the strength. Look at this. It says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. As God in Christ forgave you. Here's what's exciting, is that if you are willing to practice this with Jesus, this is the guarantee that you have. Jesus has forgiven you. Jesus offers forgiveness. Jesus says, look, if you don't know how to forgive someone else, let's talk. Let's talk about the ways that you've been angry with me, or angry at life, or angry with other people. Let's think about the ways that you've sinned against me. You know what? I love you. You know what? I've shown a tender heart toward you. I've accepted you exactly how you are. I have welcomed you into my life. I understand why you've sinned. I understand where your anger comes from. I really do get it. And it's true that I've spoken to you about ways to deal with your anger. But when I speak to you, I don't seek to condemn you. I seek to correct you. You need to understand my forgiveness and my love that's been poured out for you. And if you doubt that love, remember the cross. Because there is no greater love than anyone could have for someone else than he gives his own life for his friends. And I gave my life for you. Think about the sins that you've committed and how I've responded to you. When you understand that, when you can receive that love, your heart will melt you will be lost in wonder and amazement at the grace and the kindness of God. Jesus says, when you get that in our practice sessions together, take that and then give it to someone else. The person that you're angry with, take what I've given you and give it to them. Right? Y'all are pitchers. I fill you up with my love and forgiveness so that you can pour my love and forgiveness into the lives of others. Friends, that's, that's, <laughs> that's how reconciliation overcomes anger. If you are reconciled to Christ, if you confess your sins to him, you confess your anger to him, he can take it, he wants to hear it, he will set you free. He pours his forgiveness out in your life. And that's where you get the strength. That's where you get the strength to be able to forgive others. So I want to close just by saying you can literally transform your life today in an instant. Everything about you can be different. Your heart can change right now. If you are willing to confess your anger to Jesus, if you go to Him, if you're here and you're not a Christian, confess your anger to Jesus and commit to following Him. And His death is for you. He pays for your sins. And His resurrection shows that He is right. He's now living forever. And if you confess your sins to him, if you confess your anger to him, he'll forgive you and you will begin to experience his resurrection life in your own heart. And for those of you who are here and you're Christians, what area of the map of your heart is anger controlling right now? Is it a relationship? Is it work? Is it an environment where anger, no matter what you do, it's just got control of you? If that's you, confess your anger to Jesus. Go to him with your sins and let him pour out his forgiveness on you again. Let his forgiving love soften your heart. Your lives will change in an instant. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you. We thank you that your death led to your resurrection. We thank you, Lord, for the honesty that you speak to us with, that you don't pull punches, that you honestly lay open what's in our hearts. Jesus, thank you that you do it not to condemn, but to, to correct us to set us on the path that leads to life Lord I think about the relationships that are in this room and I pray that you would bring healing and resurrection that your that your reconciliation would replace the anger that lies deeply that lies deep in our hearts set us free set us free Jesus, there are people here that are praying now to have you forgive them. And I pray that your spirit would come over them and that you would fill them with assurance and love and forgiveness. That you would show them that because of your heart, their heart is now changed. We pray this in your name. Amen.